0: Hello there, so let's continue with chapter 8 sub-chapters Jesus in the Himalayas After renouncing the seat of Shankaracharya, I went to my master and stayed with him for few days From there, I decided to go on a pilgrimage to Amarnath, the highest shrine of Kashmir Amarnath is a cave which is covered by snow all year round The dripping water icicle looks like a shivalinga, a symbol adored by Hindus exactly as the cross is by Christians or the Star of David is by Jews. The story of a pair of white pigeons is very famous in this area. It is said that a pair of white pigeons come on the day of pilgrimage. A Kashmiri pundit who was a learned man was my guide on this journey. He started telling me a story about Jesus Christ, claiming that Jesus had lived in Kashmir practicing meditation. The pundit referred to a manuscript written in the Tibetan language that is preserved in the monastery situated at the height of 14,000 feet in the Himalayas. It was later translated by a Russian writer and then into English and published as The Unknown Life of Jesus Christ. In this part of the Himalayas, many people believe the story and you dare not disagree with it. There is a nearby mount which is famous because Jesus lived practicing meditation there. My guide gave me three reasons to support this statement. First, the garb which Jesus wore was a traditional Kashmiri garb. Second, his his hairstyle was also Kashmiri. And third, the miracles that he performed are well-known yogic miracles. The Pandit claimed that Jesus Christ left Asia Minor for the unknown period of his life when he was 13 years of age, that and that he lived in the valleys of Kashmir until he was 30. I did not know whether to believe him, but I certainly didn't want to dismiss this idea. His love for Jesus Christ was immense. I did not want to argue with him. On our way to Amarnath, he took me to an ashram which was seven miles away in the forests of Gulmarg. Gulmarg is one of the places of interest often visited by foreigners. A swami lived there who was a scholar of Kashmir Shaivism and who practiced meditation most of the time. Kashmir Shaivism has many scriptures still untranslated and unexplained. So much is left unsaid in these great scriptures that they are only understood by those fortunate ones who are on the path and have already understood something of it. These scriptures can never be understood without a highly competent and accomplished teacher. This philosophy views the spirit, mind, body and all levels of reality in the entire universe as a manifestation of the principle termed Spanda, Spontaneous Vibration. The subject matter of these scriptures is Shaktipata and Awakening the Latin Force Buried in Human Beings. This Swami informed me of a roving adept who visited Amarnath Cave Shrine every summer but No one knew where that adept lived permanently. People coming from Ladakh often saw him treading the mountain paths all alone. My interest was not only to visit the cave shrine but to meet this roving adept of the Himalayas. Of all those I have met in my life, three were very impressive and left deep imprints in the bed of my memory. That adept was one of them. I stayed with him for seven days, just 50 yards away from the shrine. He visited this cave shrine practically every year. He was about 20 years of age, was very handsome and the luster of his cheeks was like that of cherries. He was a brahmachari who wore only a loin cloth and possessed nothing. He was so acclimated to high altitudes that with the help of yoga practices, he could travel barefoot and live at elevations of 10,000 to 12,000 feet. He was insensitive to cold. Living with him was an enlightening experience to me. He was perfect and full of yoga wisdom and serenity. People call this young adept Baal Bhagavan, Child God Incarnate. But he always kept himself above such praises and constantly traveled in the Himalayan mountains. He already knew my master and lived in our cave monastery. He asked about several students who were then practicing meditation with my master. He spoke briefly in gentle sentences. But I could feel that he was not pleased with my guide, started bowing, touching his feet and running around in emotional devotions. This great adept became an example for me. I had never before seen a man who could sit still without blinking his eyelids for 8 to 10 hours. But this adept was very unusual. He levitated two and a half feet during his meditations. He measured this with a string which was later measured by a foot rule. I would like to make it clear though as I have already told you that I don't consider levitation to be a spiritual practice. It is an advanced practice of pranayama with application of bandhas one who knows about the relationship between mass and weight understands that it is possible to levitate but only after long practice. But this was not what I was seeking. I directly wanted to have an experience with this adept. I asked him a question about the highest state of enlightenment and muttering a mantra from the Upanishads, he answered, When the senses are well controlled and withdrawn from contact with the objects of the world, then sense perceptions no longer create images in the mind. The mind is then trained in one-pointedness. When the mind no longer recalls thought patterns from the unconscious, a balanced state of mind leads to a higher state of consciousness. A perfect state of serenity established in sattva is the highest state of enlightenment. The practice of meditation and non-attachment are two keynotes. A very firm conviction is essential for establishing a definite philosophy of life. Intellect intervenes and blind emotion misguides. Though both are great powers, they should be known first, analyzed and then directed towards the source of intuition. Intuition is the only source of true knowledge. All this, whatever you see in the world, is unreal because of its constantly changing nature. Reality is hidden beneath all these changes. He instructed me to march fear. Fearlessly on the path that I was treading. After seven days of satsanga, the guide and I left this great sage. I returned to Srinagar and then went on to my abode in the Himalayas to enjoy the autumn. A Vision of Christ. In 1947, after the declaration of independence in India, while on my way back from Tibet, I stayed a few days in Sikkim, visiting a few prominent Buddhist yogis. Then I went to Shillong in Assam. It is one of the strongholds of Christianity in India. There, I met a Garbhali Sadhu, a well-known Christian mystic. This lovable old man was far beyond the influence of the material world. He taught me the sermon on the Mount and the Book of Revelation, comparing them to the yoga system of Patanjali. He spoke many languages and took me to the Naga and Gairo hills where both Protestant and Catholic tribes lived in the forest dwellings. This sadhu served as a harmonizing link between the two groups and always taught practical Christianity rather than theorizing and delivering sermons. He would say, I love Christianity but not churchianity. I am sure this offended at least some followers of the churches. He believed that the kingdom of God is within every human being and that Jesus after being anointed became Christ. He held that Christ is, is universal consciousness and that no one can reach the ultimate reality without reaching Christ consciousness. This is rarely understood by Christians in general, although the mystics of Christianity understood it well. This sadhu removed many of my doubts regarding Christian theology. I had long before developed a love for Christ and His teachings, but I had never understood the dogma that through Christ alone one can achieve salvation. My problem was resolved when it was explained in terms of the Father and the Son and the perfection that can be attained by all human beings. Two days after meeting this great Christian sadhu, I again had some problems with the authorities. There were several political parties spreading propaganda in preparation for municipal elections in the city. My opinion was sought and I told questionnaires that they should not vote for the ruling party if they thought it dishonest. I was a stranger in the city and the police arrested me. They charged me with not being a supporter of the new Indian government though as a matter of fact I had no political motivations whatsoever. whatsoever. At that time democracy in India was still very new and the people and the authorities still had much to learn about what living in and administering a democracy really means. Once again, I wondered, after I have spent so much of my time trying to avoid hurting anyone, why do I have to suffer in this way? I prayed to the Lord for the help. That night, when I was asleep, I had a clear vision of Jesus Christ. He grasped my arm comfortingly and blessed me saying, Do not worry, nothing bad will happen to you. The next day, the case went to court and I was brought before a Christian judge. Because of my short beard, wooden sandals, long staff and garb, people often thought that I was Christian. The judge looked at me and asked, are you Christian? I replied, no, not by birth. Of course, I loved and respected Christianity as I did the other great and profound religions. He asked, why are you arrested? I replied, I expressed my opinion. People asked me who they should vote for and I advised, who you vote for depends on you. The police had fabricated a case against me and when the judge learned the facts, he agreed that I had been arrested unjustly. He acquitted me. I stayed in Shillong for four months studying with that Christian mystic. I have never met another sadhu who could so clearly compare the philosophy of the Gita and the teachings of the Bible with the end result of much clearer understanding of both. He regularly meditated and was calm, serene and fearless. After studying with him, I spent much time contemplating the Sermon of, on the Mount and the Book of Revelation, which for a long time remained my favourite scriptures. I have a firm conviction that the Bible contains much wisdom, though sometimes preachers would, who would interpret it cloud it and confuse it. This sage told me, After having made a comparative study of all the great religions of the world, I found out that the fundamental truths of all great religions are one and the same. If this is true, then why all this hatred, jealousy and dogma? That led me to realize that even the most ancient Vedic religion, which is in fact universal, was lost. And... The priestly wisdom of India was not able to convey the message of the Vedic sages. Yet, these priests call themselves the knowledge-knowers of the Vedas. Shankara, in his commentary on the Bhagavad Gita, clearly explains that the Gita is a modified version of the Vedas and that Lord Krishna is only a narrator. Truth always existed. The founders and great messengers of the religions of the world were only narrators. But actually the sages and not the reincarnations of God are the founders of the noble truths. This itself is proof that great reincarnations of God only modified the message given by the sages. The reincarnation of God are the messengers of the sages. They only change the baskets and eggs are the same. When this Christian Sadhu explained this to me, my eyes were opened to another dimension. He continued, Religions play their important part in binding society as a whole. The spiritual leaders and founders of religion are accepted as authorities, but according to my analysis, the wisdom given by the sages is eternal and perfect. The great messengers and leaders of various religions are only channels of the ancient sages. Worshipping the leaders and founders of religion is just like creating a dogma and cult without any solid philosophy behind it. There is no hero worship in following the path of the sages, for their teachings are universal and for all times. When religious teachers could not impart practical knowledge to their students, this corrupted the religions of the world. They said, you should have faith in God and then dismissed the genuine quest of the soul. The doctrine of faith in the East and the West is being exploited by all the preachers of the world. Modern man is confused more by the preachers than by his own problems. Social problems and religious problems create serious conflicts and prejudices. Which become difficult for one to dispel. What is the worth of that religion which creates bondage and misery for man? Freedom is one of the prime messages given by the sages. But it has been obstructed so much that today's religious man lives like a slave, terrified and obsessed by evil and devils. He is more concerned about sin and Satan than self-realization and God. The philosophy of the new age demands complete modification of such religious concepts. But alas, there hasn't been a revolution in any of the religions so far. Without going through a socio-religious revolutionary process, the flower of true religion cannot bloom. Reformation and revolution are the signs and symptoms of the evolution of man. This revolution is made possible by changing the heart and practicing Ahimsa in daily life. Love alone has the power to change. Such a revolution and change will prepare modern man for the next dimension of awareness, which will then unite the whole of humanity. The great Christian sage really opened my inner eye and I started looking forward to that day to come when all of the humanity will follow the religion of man by worshipping one truth and practicing love. Then there will be no place for hatred, jealousy and other prejudices of life. My four months' stay with this great man helped me in understanding Christianity in a better way. The vision of Christ deepened my love for his teachings. And he stays in the calmest chamber of my heart as my guide and protector. So that's it for today. Thanks for listening.